God's people were now in exile. They had been there for almost 70 years. And God comes to remind them of who he is, of the fact that he is a great God, a creator God, a father God, a God who hadn't forgotten them. And yet that was exactly the cry that was in the heart of God's people. They were saying to one another that our way is hidden from the Lord, that God has almost disregarded our situation. They felt living in captivity, forgotten, ignored. They had, in one sense, lost sight of who God is. They had lost sight of God's wonderful purposes for his people. And so God comes and reminds them of that situation. In one sense, even though there's over a hundred years between last Sunday morning sermon in Isaiah 26 and here in Isaiah 40, in many ways this morning is almost a follow-up from last Sunday morning. Do you remember in Isaiah 26 and 3? Again, God's people were feeling threatened by Assyria. And God comes and he speaks words of encouragement into their hearts. And he says, you will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon you, because he trusteth in you. And so we were reminded last Sunday morning that providing our mind is focused upon God, and providing our attention is focused upon God, that we will know his peace. And over a hundred years later, here in Isaiah 40, God's people hadn't taken that lesson to heart. They have lost that perfect peace. They are discouraged. They are dissatisfied. They are questioning. They are doubting. They're bitter. God, where are you? Why have you disregarded us? Because they have fallen into the same plot and they had taken their attention off who God is. I was over at the garden show in Edinburgh yesterday, and on the way back, I said to Heather, let's stop for a coffee. And, and uh, as we were having a coffee, I picked up a newspaper that was lying on the table, one of the national papers. And uh, I just read this story about a guy that really I've never heard of before, but apparently he's fairly well known. He plays a character called Slugs. Isn't that a great character name? And uh, he's in BBC Three comedy called This Country. His proper name is Michael Slags. And uh, he's only 33. And he probably has only a few weeks to live. And so he writes in the paper to all his fans, and he says this. Friends, as a lot of you are probably aware... I've spent a lot of time in and out of hospital over the past few months. This last time it was decided I was reaching the end of options, and they've sent me home to live out the remainder of my days. No time limit has been given, but my deterioration is rapid. Anyway, as you can imagine, this isn't the ideal way I wish things to go, and my family are dealing with a lot of grief. 
But he goes on to say, and this is the national newspaper, he says, the experience has enhanced my faith. And if you're wondering why I'm not sounding freaked out by the whole situation, well, initially I was. But as so often in a time of crisis, and should have been way before, I'm ashamed to say, I turned to God and to the Christian faith. I've been reading the Bible daily. I've been listening to Christian songs and to sermons. And it's changed my entire mindset. He says, you would expect me in this situation to be freaked out. But as a result of listening to Christian songs, as a result of listening to sermons, as a result of reading the Scriptures... As a result of focusing in his mind upon God, instead of being freaked out, he has a peace in his heart. That's what we were talking about last week. In the end, that's what's at the heart of the closing verses of Isaiah 40, that when our mind is focused upon God, our mindset changes, and we discover his peace. He finishes off by saying, If you don't know Jesus already, my only hope is that you get to know him before you get to my state. But a perfect example of what it means to have a change of mind as we focus upon God in our situation. And as with last Sunday, I want just to top and tail this morning's sermon with a reminder through music of this great truth. Thanks, Ruth.
earlier, over a hundred years later, the children of Israel still hadn't learned the importance of keeping their mind focused upon God. Over a hundred years later, they were back in the same place with their minds screwed up, bitter, doubting, where on earth is God? So we come to these closing verses in Isaiah 40. Why would you ever complain, O Jacob, or whine Israel, saying, God has lost track of me? He doesn't care what's happening to me. Don't you know anything? Haven't you been listening? God doesn't come and go. God lasts. He's creator of all you can see or imagine. He doesn't get tired out. He doesn't pause to catch his breath. And he knows everything inside and out. He energizes those who get tired. He gives fresh strength to dropouts. For even young people tire and drop out. Young folks in their prime stumble and fall. But those who wait upon God get fresh strength. They spread their wings and soar like eagles. They run and don't get tired. They walk and don't lag behind. This morning I'm thinking about what it means to wait on God. Those that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Don't misunderstand. I'm not talking about waiting for God as if you were waiting for the X-85, hoping whether it will turn up or not. I'm talking about waiting 
upon God, waiting on God. And so, the final slide that we looked at last Sunday morning from Prince Caspian, and that beautiful little image of Lucy just waiting upon Aslan, just sitting in front of him and trying to comprehend something of who he really is. And so Lucy says to Aslan, Aslan, you're bigger. She thinks that Aslan has grown, that he's more powerful. But Aslan puts her right. That's because you're older, little one. Lucy says, not because you are. You mean you're not really any bigger? And Aslan says, I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. What Aslan was saying to Lucy was that the more little Lucy gets to know him, the more little Lucy discovers what Aslan is really like, the bigger he will seem. And so it should be with the people of God. And so it should be with each one of us. That the more we wait upon God, the more we experience God, the more we sense God working in our lives, the bigger God appears in our eyes. Of course, God hasn't grown. God remains the same, all-powerful God. But the more we wait upon God, the bigger he seems. And so we find strength from him. More than anything else, I think waiting on God is about an attitude rather than an activity. It's easy for us sometimes to think that by doing things, even sometimes by having an extended quiet time or whatever, that somehow that's going to make everything okay and we'll appreciate God better. That's not a bad thing to do. But what we need to do is to have an attitude of mind where almost day by day, hour by hour, we just want to sense that God is with us and we are in his presence. You see, we can always find the time if we really want to. When you really want to get to know somebody whom you find attractive, for example, you simply make time. I think I've told you before that 50-odd years ago when I first started going out with Heather, I don't know how I managed to do it. But sometimes she was working splits as a nurse in the city hospital. And she'd be working from 8 till 12, and then from 4 to 8. And I used to get up, I wasn't used to getting up at 7 o'clock. And I used to get up early and pick her up at half past 7 on my motorbike. And I would take her on the motorbike 15 miles from Bangor to Belfast, drop her off at the hospital. I would be back there again at 12 o'clock to take her back home for lunch or to have a wee rest in the afternoon. 
And then I would come back up at half past three to her house and take her back up to the city hospital at four o'clock. Then I would go back home. And then at half past seven, I would ride back up again to be there at eight o'clock in order to bring her back home. And occasionally I got a peck in the cheek at the end of it. And I think, how on earth did I find time to do it? You see, when you really want to get to know somebody, then, strangely enough, you find time to do it. And of course, in the busyness of our lives, and sometimes when we're in desperate and difficult situations, we struggle to make time to wait upon God. But let me change the metaphor a little bit and look at it from a different perspective, from the perspective of the person that you're going to meet. Philip Yancey puts it like this. He says, whenever you love someone, you take delight in that person coming to see you. So in a few weeks' time, one of my daughters and the grandchildren will come to see us. And after two weeks, they will leave. And the next day, another daughter and her two grandchildren will come to see us. And part of it sounds crazy, but we love it. And already, Heather's probably thinking about what she needs to do for their arrival. They're all vegetarians. And so she'll be bringing in special food. She'll be bringing in little things that she knows the grandchildren like. She'll be getting the train set out of the loft She'll be putting away some of the precious china. She'll be doing all sorts of things in terms of the bedrooms just to get them ready for the family coming. She might even put fresh flowers in their bedroom. Sometimes a chocolate on the pillow. Because she just looks forward to them coming. She takes delight in them. And you see, there's a sense in which whenever we come into God's presence, it's like trying to imagine God pulling aside the curtain and is delighted to see us when we come. And sometimes it's like that if I know they're coming by car. I'll sit in the conservatory and keep my eye out on the cars that are coming over the little bridge into our estate. And if it's them, I'll get up and say, Heather, they're coming, and we'll go and open the door and get ready to give them a welcome. You see, I'm trying to create a picture for you here that God's a bit like that. It delights the heart of God when we come and want to spend time with Him. Just try and imagine that image of God pulling aside the curtain, having a wee look through the Phoenician blinds. Because David has decided in his heart he's going to spend time in the presence of his father this morning. You see, when we wait upon God, when we draw near to him, we do it first and foremost to give him pleasure. It was my birthday a couple of weeks ago, and uh, they seem to come with increasing regularity at the moment, but I'm sure it's the same gap between each year. 
But on my birthday, I was over in Ireland uh, at a food bank conference, and I thought I would go and visit my Uncle Willie. My Uncle Willie's just over 90, and he's my mum's oldest surviving brother. And I don't know why, but he loves me to come and see him. I don't see him very often. But I told someone that I was coming to see him. And they phoned him up and said, Uncle Willie, David's over and he's going to come and see you. My Uncle Willie can't run the length of the hallway. You know, he's pretty unsteady on his feet. But as soon as I rang the bell, the door opened. You see, I think he had been peeping through the blinds. And I knew that he got all the cushions in the right place, just as his wife would have wanted him to do before she passed away. He had the china cups out, knowing that we would have a wee cup of tea together. And of course, we did have a big slice of birthday cake as well. But you see, when we draw near to God, we do so first and foremost because it gives him pleasure. And so as I came to see Uncle Willie, I knew that he'd be pleased. I knew that as I chatted to him and reminisced to him and showed him some old pictures, it would warm his heart. And I know that he talked to his son about it long after I had gone. But what we also discover is that as we wait upon God, our own strength is renewed. And that's what I discovered about Uncle Willie, you see. As we finished our cake, you can see the big hands that he has from farming stock. And he went and sat beside me and took my hand. And he just held my hand the whole time I was there. And we chatted. He talked to me about how he had first come to trust in Jesus in a little mission in a wee orange hall in the back of nowhere, led by two faith mission pilgrims, Miss Little and Miss Spears. And he had got on his bicycle one night and cycled from the home farm to this little mission in the middle of the country. And there he gave his life to Jesus. We talked about his faith and his journey and his service of God. And in the end, I thought, you know, that's just been a wonderful birthday afternoon. I had come along thinking, maybe I'm going to give him some pleasure. He's lonely. But in the end, I was the one who was renewed and strengthened in my spirit. And so it is with God. As we wait upon God, we do so primarily because God delights in us, his children, coming to spend time with him. But as we do so, we discover that our own strength is renewed. This is how Paul puts it uh, in uh, in the New Testament. He says, I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts, living within you as you trust in him, May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. And may you be able to feel and understand 
as all God's children should. How long, how wide, how deep, and how high his love really is. And to experience his love for yourselves, though it is so great that you'll never see the end of it or fully know or understand it. And so at last, you will be filled up with the fullness of God himself. And I think that's partly what it means to wait upon God. It's about you and God feeling at home with one another. It's about you bringing pleasure to God because he just delights in the fact that you, his child, wants to spend time with him. But as we do so, he speaks words of love and comfort into our own hearts that in the end strengthen us and enable us to keep going. A number of years ago, when I was probably feeling a bit like the children of Israel in exile, I found it really helpful to read Colin Urquhart's book, My Dear Child. I know some people hate it, but it was written by Colin as he spent time waiting upon God just allowing God to speak words into his heart about who he was in God's sight. And as I read some of these day after day, I felt it was almost a personal prophetic word for me. I was flicking through it again earlier in the week, and here's just one example. My love for you doesn't depend on your performance or your achievement. I love you because I love you. I have called you and chosen you. You've been afraid sometimes to come close to me because of your sense of inadequacy. But I want you close to me. I like you. You've often thought it's my divine job to love you because I'm God. But you've doubted that I really like you. You see so many things about yourself you don't like. And so you've concluded that I don't like you either. Oh, I haven't liked your sin, which is why sometimes you feel uncomfortable. But I don't love you only when you're good. I don't love you only on your obedient days. I simply love you because I love you. And you see, whenever we wait upon God... And just spend time with him like Lucy gazing into the eyes of Aslan. It's not about academic study. It's not just about mental and theoretical understanding. It's about allowing God to speak into our hearts, reminding us of who he is, reminding us of how he sees us. And as we discover that, it gives us the strength to keep going. Now, I know our time is swiftly ebbing by, but I want to suggest three things as we close, and I'll run through them quickly. You see, the key thing that I want to leave with you this morning is simply this statement. God is waiting for us to wait upon him. I think that's true individually, and I think it's true as a church. God is waiting for us to wait upon him. 
And as the prophet Isaiah says, as we wait upon God, he will renew our strength. And he does that in three ways in the verses that you all know so well. As we wait upon God, he gives us a new perspective because we will soar on wings like eagles. Whenever I'm flying, I like to get the window seat. And one of the amazing things is that even on the worst day, a day like today, whenever you're above the clouds, the sun's always shining. And I think that's a valuable lesson sometimes, to realize that whatever's going on in my life, whatever's going on down there in our world, the clouds only come to a certain height. But I suppose the thing that amazes me more is that whenever there are no clouds and you're maybe up at 18,000 feet and you can look down and you can see the Alps or the Hebridean Islands or whatever and you see everything in a totally different perspective. This is what the prophet is saying. He says, as we wait upon God, he enables us to soar like an eagle to see things from a heavenly perspective and not just be dominated by the context with which we're wrestling. And as we see things from a heavenly perspective, it also gives us a fresh perspective on our own situation as well. You see, prayer isn't so much about bringing God into my world to sort out my problems. Of course, intercession is fundamental to who we are as Christians. But prayer is about God taking us into his world to help us understand who he is, to understand his bigness, his love for us, his purposes for us. As we wait upon God, He lifts us into the heavenlies. We are able to soar like an eagle and see things through his eyes. And suddenly, like slugs, slugs that I referred to at the start of the sermon, things become different. Secondly, as we wait upon God, he gives us a new perseverance. He says we will run and not grow weary. This is an athlete, a fairly good athlete, in the 2019 uh, London Marathon. And she ended up literally crawling over the line. She could see the line in front of her, and she wouldn't give up. She just kept crawling until she got over the line. And I think sometimes, as Christians, we lose sight, not only of who God is, but of God's purposes for us and for his world. And whenever we wait upon God and remind ourselves of God's purposes for this world, it enables us to keep going, even when we feel like giving up. It's true sometimes in church. Do you know, we, we lose sight of why we do what we're doing. 
we need to remind ourselves again that God has so loved this world that he sent his son to die for this world. That every person in this community of Kirk and Tillich is precious to him. Every young person, every child, every adult. And God's heart is that he longs that they would come to know him and to know his love. And that's why we do what we do week by week, hour by hour, in the life of a local congregation. And when we lose sight of why we're doing what we're doing, we just think, what the heck, why should I bother doing this when no one really appreciates it? You see, when we keep our eyes fixed upon God like Lucy and Aslan, when we allow God to speak his love and his purposes into our lives, we realize why we keep doing what we're doing. And we keep on doing what we're doing because we've been reminded afresh of what God's purposes are. And as we remind ourselves of that, he gives us the strength to go on. And then thirdly, and I've really only time to hint at it, but also as we wait upon God, it says he will give us fresh empowerment. He will walk and not be faint. I suppose what I'm asking for this morning is what Solomon asked for whenever he became king in 1 Kings 3. And God says, what would you like me to do for you? And I'm sure there were so many things that Solomon would have liked. And one translation puts it like this. Give me, Lord, a hearing heart. Give me, Lord, a, a listening ear. Because I can't do this kingship stuff on my own. I need to be able to hear your voice and listen to you. And that's what it means to wait in God, I think. To spend time in his presence, appreciating afresh who he is, appreciating afresh his purposes for us, and allow him to speak into our hearts words of love, words of reassurance, words of comfort. That means we find the strength for the day ahead. I want, even though our time is gone and the tea will be stewed, to take five minutes just to just to listen and reflect on a beautiful rendition of the 23rd Psalm. And afterwards, Joy is going to lead us in a final song which is so pertinent to what I've been saying this morning. So let's just take a moment, relax, reflect, and allow God to speak to us through this clip. The Lord's my shepherd, I'll not want. He makes me lie in pastures green. He leads me by the still, still waters. His 
Goodness will lead.